You have entered the steam room with Charles Barkley and Ernie Johnson, the podcast presented by Tissot, the official watch of the NBA. I would just love to hear that quick version of the theme that has the vocals on it. Wasn't that guy from Phoenix? I don't know, but let's see if let's see if he can rack that up and we can play it. Chuck and Ernie in steam room. Come and join yeah. us in steam room. Chuck and Ernie in steam room. Leave your towel off in steam room. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> Set the tone, brother. <laughs> that is just that is just talent. I really want to say that kid who said that, he said, I thought he was from Arizona. Dustin from Phoenix, as a matter of fact. Okay, I like that, Dustin. Yeah. I wish he'd come up to me sometimes. Hey, I'm Dustin. I'm the guy who did your little steam room voice. I would love. That'd be hilarious. That would, that would be a special moment for everyone. Um, thank you for holding down the ship when I was uh, at the beach last week. Good to be must back be, with you. Must be what? Must be nice to be laying at the beach when we're working. It was, boy. That was nice. <laughs> it was nice. Um, so we start, uh, we start with, first of all, first of all, you know, you have a lot of money when you get hunting nut Cheerios. I've had the regular Cheerios. First of all, you know, anybody ride a motorcycle who makes millions of dollars is an idiot. First of all, zero plus zero is zero. Well, I, I, I got to start with the situation in Minnesota. I mean, uh, the young kid, Dante Wright, who was killed, uh, last week and man, it's just heartbreaking to be in the same situation again and again and again and again. And uh, I just want to give my thoughts and prayers to his family, uh, his siblings. And man, uh, to be killed at 20 years old, uh, I can't imagine that as a father, uh, what it's like. And I just want to acknowledge that situation, just say my thoughts and prayers are with the family. Yeah, I'd say a unspeakable tragedy and the circumstances that went into it too, just uh, you just can't wrap your head around it with this veteran police officer, as the news reports have it, as you know, having a gun and not knowing that it wasn't the taser. Yeah, you, you watch that happening, uh, you know, the, the aftermath of that at night, you know, and, and we were just down that road. I mean, nobody should lose their life over a simple traffic stop, yeah. especially at 20. And I just want to acknowledge that. And I got to tell you, my second thing is, Ernie, Hideki Matsuyama. Yeah. Number one, I got to say, man, with all this Asian hate going on out there, man, please stop. Please stop. I couldn't think of a more appropriate thing to happen than somebody of Asian descent to win the Masters. I mean, because you see all these Asian people around the country getting attacked, and you just got to say, man, what the hell is wrong with people? And beating up just beating up old people. Number one, that just makes you a punk and a coward to be beating up old people. Uh, but just to have animosity against an ethnic group because, quote unquote, some idiot said they were responsible for the, the coronavirus. Come on, man. Y'all, we got to be better people. But I was just so happy because I thought him winning was just awesome. Uh, and let me tell you something. To see him in the Atlanta airport the next day, catching a commercial flight with the green jacket, might have been one of the coolest things. I, I tell somebody, like, this dude could have got a private jet. He was walking through the Atlanta airports. You know, everybody, they, they gave him a space. But I saw three or four pictures where people, he just had the, the green jacket sitting over a chair next to him. To catch a 645 flight to Chicago before he heads back to Tokyo. And I'm like, if that ain't humble, I don't know what is. So I was just happy for him. But man, stop all this Asian hate out there. As I watched the end of that tournament 
And obviously you saw the emotion as he made his way toward Butler cabin. Yes. But then to see his caddy, and I want to pronounce this the right way. I hope I am. Shota Hayafuji, having taken the, the flag off the 18th of flag stick and then to replace it and just bow, remove his hat. And that simple bow uh. was was one of the great moments that he wasn't calling attention to himself. No. It was just this great gesture of respect and reverence and humility that you just don't see. And it was just wonderful. And so while the final round may have lacked, you know, that swing for swing down the stretch, uh-oh, who's going to make a mistake? And, you know, eventually it was Shoffley who hit the ball in the water on 16, which kind of took the drama out of 17 and 18 as to, you know, is there going to be a, a, a swing here that makes a difference, but that more than made up for that lack of drama because it was just a, such a poignant moment and so cool at a time, as you point out, that there has been such vitriol toward the Asian community and just a, a gentle moment. It was tremendous. And uh, shout out to Will Zalatoris also, who first made uh, Masters, was awesome, came in solo second, but man, that dude was golfing his ball. So shout out to Will Zalatoris, man. It was beautiful to watch him all week. Yeah, I can't wait to see what his career does because, man, he's, yeah, what, what's he got that they get talking about a 28-inch waist? Yeah, I mean, he is so skinny. He makes uh, Justin Thomas look, look fat. <laughs> he <laughs> like, yeah, like exactly. Justin Thomas is a skinny little dude, but, man, he can sling that golf ball, boy. Learn something from him, man. Learn something from him. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to The Steam Room. Uh, which is presented by Tiso, the official watch of the NBA, Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley. And uh, man, we got a great guest coming up next. Uh, he had the time of his life in Indianapolis. And uh, that's all we're going to tell you. You're just going to have to stick around for our special guest next. We welcome you back to the Steam Room, which is presented by Tiso, the official watch of the NBA. And uh, man, Chuckster. Hey. Special, special, special guest. Yeah. Head coach of the national champion, Baylor Bears. Yeah. How does that sound, coach? Man, that sounds great. Hey, you can even say that again, man. That sounded really good. <laughs> Go ahead, Chuckster. Head coach of the national championship, Baylor Bears. Coach Scott Drew is joining us as a special guest. <laughs> Appreciate you. And, and for those that don't know, I mean, uh, Charles, you were you were a part of this now because uh, we did talk to you during the tournament, and uh, you did give our players some advice. And uh, uh, congrats to you, champ. Well, listen, Coach. Uh, well, Scott, you know I've been friends with you and your family for a long time, and you asked me to make a little video to you guys. Man, it was beautiful to watch. You know, Mark Vidal. He texted me Saturday. He says, "Yo, man, I'm really struggling." And I said, "Yo, man, y'all won the game. That's all that matters." And I said, "Just go out there and wreak havoc." Find a way to help your team win, no matter what it is. And I told him after the game, I gave him a big hug after the game. I said, you set the tone. Yeah. Those two offensive rebounds, the first two plays of the game, after that, y'all physically intimidated them. I said, you know, man, you were so awesome today. But those two offensive rebounds to start the game, yeah. they realized, like, we cannot keep this man off the board. And the rest is history. Yeah, you you definitely had it motivated and ready to go. But I'm, I'm going to tell you what we did. We set the table for the guys before we played your video message. You remember the old NBA superstars uh, highlight video? And it, it was on VHS back in the day. But uh, when I first started coaching, that was like 
I am the warrior was the song and the young Charles Barkley's dunking on everybody, getting all the rebounds, shooting the free throw at the, your eye was like, you look like Rocky. You had the puffed up <laughs> eye, the black eye, you couldn't even see it. He's shooting the free throw one eye. But our guys were like, they were so impressed seeing all those highlights. And then your video came on and the place went nuts. And then uh, obviously uh, uh, Mark loves you, looks up to you. But what makes you so special, Charles, is how you uh, give love to the young people that play this game. You came on the court afterwards. And I tell you what, they'll remember that game for the rest of their life. But equally would be that memory with you on the court and them getting a chance to hug you and talk with you. So thank you so much for that. Coach, it was cool. Mark came over and told me to come over, and I had to give him a big hug, man, because I'm so proud of that kid. And then you came over and said, hey, you got to go say hello to my dad and my brother. And, and let me just tell you something. I am sick and tired of your brother and your dad thinking they can beat me in golf. Listen, I'm back. I'm back. You're back. I'm back. <laughs> hey, all I know is when you take a bunch of money off my brother and dad, send me a cut because I helped arrange that game, all right? <laughs> <laughs> How has your life changed here over the last uh, 10 days to two weeks? Well, you, you know, every morning you wake up and you're exhausted because 24-7 you're trying to get back to everybody because it's important that you respond to everybody that uh, sends you a message. But then also uh, having a great opportunities to be like on this show and hearing Charles Barkley say national champ. I mean, <laughs> and then when you get tired or worn out, we say these are national championship problems. So that refreshes us and we know these are good problems to have. And uh, the coffee machine's right close to the door. So we good. We just keep it going. <laughs> Feeling you've been into that this morning. Oh, yeah. This is the third one already. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, everything is over. You got to celebrate. But now, what's the situation with recruiting? Are you allowed to recruit now? It's just a dead period. Well, the beauty of, beauty of college basketball, you're recruiting 24-7 because everything's done on the phone, text messages, FaceTime, phone calls. And uh, you see with the portal, first of all, you're not only recruiting your own guys, you're recruiting everybody else out there. And that's why a lot of coaches, when they leave and go to the NBA, they're like, I ain't going back because they don't want to deal with the recruiting 24-7. Um, but at the same time, why, why I love coaching is you have an opportunity to have an impact with the uh, guys during their 18 to 22 years. And, and that's such a formative uh, lifespan and uh, getting a chance to know people in recruiting. And like, I know, I know, Charles, you love people. I, I love people too. Ernie, you're the best at bringing people together. Um, but that that's something I, I, I do love. Hey, I, along those lines on the transfer portal, because a, a friend of mine uh, who's a football coach, longtime football coach, he and I were just sitting around talking the other night about that. And I wondered if, um, and, and correct me if this is wrong, but are coaches now going to be spending as much time recruiting guys who are already on their team? I mean, it's almost like, a is it going to be like a, con a continuous yeah. recruiting of the guys who have already committed, who have played there for a year, and you're trying to get them to stay because of the ease of, of this portal? Well, actually, that's that's been uh, the secret to a lot of teams' success over the last few years, the teams that haven't lost guys to transfers or bad decisions to turn pro. And what I mean by that is that every college coach, uh, when their guys can get guaranteed money and can be in a position to be successful in the NBA, you want them to go to the NBA. When you don't want them to go to the NBA is when you know they're not going to be drafted where they think they're going to be drafted. Then they come out and then they're not guaranteed money. They're not drafted where they heard or an agent told them they'd be drafted. And now they can't come back to college. So they're upset. 
you're you're upset. So really, the key in college basketball is you have to have great relationships with the guys on your team, so they make wise decisions to transfer, to leave, and when to do all that stuff. So very similar to I'm sure how it was uh, back in the day for our, the coaches that uh, you played for, Chuck. Because um, my brother said when he first got to the Houston Rockets, you were the guy that uh, uh, really helped him uh, navigate through the NBA and how to how to handle things. And he said it was a, it was a great time with you because as long as he played golf with you and lost you, you loved him. So it was good. (laughs) You know, the one thing that I'm a firm believer is I'm an old school NBA guy. I think, man, Dr. J and Moses, Bobby Jones, Andrew, Tony, Maurice Cheeks, man, those guys, Moses, number one, he made me lose 50 pounds, but Dr. J. Don't worry about it, Chuck. You got it back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But those guys, man, they took me under their wing. Even when I got traded to Phoenix, Houston, like I try to always help the young guys. I think, Yo, man, this thing ain't easy. No. First of all, the basketball is hard, but dealing with all the other stuff in life is hard also. Get, getting to be around your brother. I mean, I try to always help the young guys because, you know, for you, like I always tell people, we spend all our time worrying about these young kids who like, who's going to go pro and this and I said, well, first of all, 99% of these guys aren't going to go pro. So I think the number one job of a college coach is to make sure your kids get their education and try to make them better people. I mean, that's to me, we don't spend nearly enough time. We hear about what well, we, they need to get their la- name and likeness. I hear all that stuff. And my biggest concern with this is we're really going to have the haves and the have nots. Because yeah. to me, what's going to happen is kids are going to all start going to the bigger schools. They're going to say to themselves, well, I can't get a car deal at this school. I, I, I know if I go to this school, I, I can sell more product. What do you think about that, Coach? Well, I think you bring up a lot of good points. And uh, uh, I think the first one I want to touch on is, uh, see, at Baylor, it's called Preparing Champions for Life. So it's it's a spiritual, it's an academic, it's a character formation and athletic. And you you know from the rookies that come into the NBA, if those first three are good, I mean, the, the last one's going to be fine. But if those first three aren't very good, it doesn't matter about the last one. It's hard to make it in life. And, and so having an opportunity to pour into young people for that, and that's why it's such a blessing when, when young people come into your program, if their inner circle uh, allows you to be a mentor, and it, I always say it takes a village to raise a man, if we're all on the same page, because there's going to be peaks, but there's going to be a lot of valleys, and that's life. This generation tends to want things right now. And uh, uh, as you know, some things you you probably like wine and, you know, sometimes you got to age that wine for it to be fine wine. Again, you got to go through uh, uh, trials and tribulations in in a quick dollar now might not mean you're able to make a a good income the rest of your life. And so you got to base decisions and make decisions on wise things. Hopefully these, these young people are blessed to have 60 more years and you want their future generations to be impacted by uh, uh, their success. And, and every, every dad wants their, their kids to have it better than they had it. Scott, what's the best advice your dad ever gave you, coaching-wise? <laughs> uh, he gave me so so much good advice, but uh, uh, obviously uh, uh, head coach is only as good as his players and staff. And if you don't have great players, uh, and I'm not just talking athletically, we're talking about everything that puts the team first, the, uh, the, that provides the culture you want, the buy-in to being a great teammate. Um, and if you don't have a great staff that you can trust that are going to carry out the same message that you you want carried out. And Chuck, I know from the teams you played on and the great ones, I mean, a player-led team is always better than a coach-led team. So if you if you get the right people on the bus, and what I mean by that is players and staff, 
now it's easy for a, a head coach to look awful good. You know, Scott, let me tell you something. Watching your team play in person is watching them totally different than playing, watching them on tape. I mean, that was a mismatch in the national championship game. No disrespect to the Zags. They had a, a tremendous season. But your team, seeing them play in person that Saturday and Monday, y'all were by far and away the best team in the country. This is obviously hypothetical. Do you think if you if y'all didn't get bit with the COVID situation, you think y'all would have been undefeated? Well, you know, God's, God's plan is always the best. And you could look at it two ways. One, you don't have COVID. Maybe you're undefeated. Maybe you go down now as one of the best teams to ever play college basketball. That would be one way. And, and I definitely like that. Um, the other way is without the COVID, maybe uh, uh, our guys wouldn't have been as focused and, and excited to be back playing. There's a lot of people in that bubble were ready for their seasons to end. You know this from the NBA and college. Um, just like you and er Ernie, after a long season together, you might need a break. Now, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Maybe you no, we need a break. No, we do. Yeah, we we do. need a break. <laughs> we do. I, I could use one. Right, I could use another one right now. <laughs> but, I mean, our guys in the bubble, we were, we'd were we been away from each other for three weeks. Everyone's in their own places. We were excited to be back with each other and around each other. So, again, I think there's two ways you could look at it. Me being optimistic, I, I know I'm going to say God's plan is always the best, but you know what? Maybe we could have been undefeated because I, I up to that, no one had come close to us. What was it, eight points, nine points? Yeah, you know, I, we, me, and, me and Kenny said something about your team uh, after watching y'all play that Monday night. I said, one thing about Baylor, they got a weight room down there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was like, man, you got some grown men on your team. I mean, who's your strength and conditioning coach? Uh, I'm glad you asked that because we love when you guys talked about Charlie Melton. He's been here for 14, 15 years. He's one of the best in the business. But we love that clip that you said because he's, as you know, if you don't have a good strength coach, uh, it's hard to be a good coach. And at the end of the day, if a player's in top form and athletically at their peak, they're such a better player. Very similar to you put a backpack on you and add five or ten pounds, you're not near the athlete. So a strength coach is so important to take that backpack off. Like right now, I wish you'd take about 20 pounds off my backpack, you know. <laughs> but but thank you for that shout out because that that is real and, and, and appreciate that. Charlie Melton is, is the best. Can we go back to when you took the job there, Scott? Did you – how much did it weigh on you, the, the, the situation that Baylor was in when you took that job? So – what was the back and forth going on in your mind about, yes, I should, or no, I shouldn't? I mean, because they're obvious, I bet there were some folks out there who said, man, I wouldn't touch that job. Well, well, first and foremost, um, I prayed about it and I felt led to, to come to Baylor. And my dad, when he went to Valpo, they had never had a, a winning record in Division One At that time, Digger Phelps was at Notre Dame right down the street. And he said, do not go there. You can't win there. It's a dead end job. And, and I saw how my dad was able to build that and what he was able to accomplish. And there were a lot of similarities with Baylor. I really believed in the leadership, the vision for the place. I mean, it's the largest Baptist school in the nation. It's an unbelievable academic uh, reputation. And we're in the Big 12, which out of the six out of the last seven years has been the toughest conference, very similar to the NBA West. The West has been so dominant uh, for the last how many years uh, in the NBA. So if you win your league, you can win a national championship. So the great thing about you guys, you're you're optimistic, you're positive, and you're on the hey, how do I get better? Well, once we got here, I mean, we we had a ton of work, so we hit the ground running. We haven't looked back since. We haven't thought about much. We've just been out grinding, trying to get better. You know, I I sent you a text. I told you, man, what you did was 
miraculous. I mean, uh, taking that job, number one, took tremendous courage and because you had to believe in yourself. But I just want to tell you on the podcast, man, what you did was amazing. Uh, when you took that job, we're, a lot of guys are like, man, that's a tough job. And now, and the, and the thing about it, I, I think, well, number one, one of the reasons I'm proud of you, you built a program. Like, you could have lucked up and won a national championship in the beginning, and it would have been like, okay. But now the way you have built this program and been consistent, I mean, I just want to say what you've done is is amazing. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I can tell you, when 2010, we lost to Duke in the Elite Eight, and they went on to win it all. In 2012, we lost to Kentucky, and they went on to win it all. It does make you appreciate getting the Final Four that much more or winning it all that much more because you know what a blessing it is. And, and, and people say this all the time. So all of a sudden, are you a great coach because you won one more game? No. I mean, it's you got to be blessed and, and lucky. There's so many people that haven't had that opportunity, but doesn't mean they didn't have great careers or successful careers. And to me, that's why what you pour into young people defines how, how you're successful more than necessarily your record. Because at the end of the day, um, when you pass away, how you impact young people means a lot more uh, than what your record is. When we get to heaven, they're not going to say how many championships you won. <laughs> God's going to ask you how you how you performed and who you impacted and had an opportunity to impact. And again, that's why I love you guys, because you impact so many people. Uh, you stand up for what's right, and uh, uh, you do it in a great way. Hey, Scott, uh, when you look at Chuck, uh, do you think he has the makings of uh, a halfway decent pickleball player? <laughs> hey. hey, Chuck's a natural athlete. Whatever he does, he's going to be great at. I'm just telling you. Chuck, do you know what pickleball is? I know what pickleball is, but Ernie, I got at least two years. I'm a firm believer. Somebody else asked me about pickleball. I said, uh, I'm not old enough to play pickleball. I think you have to be at least 60. I think 60 is the magic number. I've never seen any young person play pickleball. I think 60 is the magical number. But, but Scott, you have uh, you have taken to this, this, this like this, it's a kind of a tennis takeoff, kind of like, uh, I don't even know the best way to describe so it. So Chuck, in the bubble, you know, we, we there, there weren't a lot of activities or things to do. And, and uh, Coach Few did have a pickleball court in there. And uh, we got to play something. So uh, Coach Few and I were unde- <laughs> we were undefeated in the bubble. So uh, we were <laughs> we were a good team up into the championship game. At that point, we had to put the we had to put the partnership aside. Um, but I agree with you, Chuck. My dad plays pickleball, and uh, uh, a lot of people he played with are a lot older than he is. So he thinks he's a young gun out there. <laughs> so I, I understand what you're what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, because because Mark Fuse fifty eight and Scott, you are at fifty. Fifty, yeah. But yeah, hey, but- hey, what you do in the bubble, you got. Hey, you got to make you got to make do with what you got in the bubble. All right? All right. <laughs> hey, our players were great at Connect Four. By the time it ended, you didn't want any part of them in the Connect Four or the cornhole. All right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they were getting dubbed. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a serious question. Who's the worst coach in the Drew family? <laughs> well, I, I tell you the best player is it's my sister probably. <laughs> oh, she's a, she's a hell of a player. Oh yeah, yeah. She she has uh, she was uh, all conference in the MAC two or three years. 
Um, she filed the most too. My brother and I still got all the scratches and scars to prove that. But, <laughs> but, but anyway, a hey, really, really blessed to have a great, great family. And, uh, uh, and you, you're part of that family. I mean, my brother, again, I can't thank you enough for you taking care of him his rookie year in the NBA. He, he, his favorite times were some of your stories. I remember when uh, you were on one of the planes and uh, there, there was some smoke coming out and uh, everybody's panicking and everyone's uh, about to lose their mind. And, and uh, calm, cool, and collected. Charles Barkley says, "I don't know about the rest of you, but me, Bryce, and Brent, we going to heaven." <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can but, believe that story. Hey, you know what? There's uh, ain't nothing like being around the guys. There's nothing like it. And to see Bryce's success, uh, I, you know, you know, the first time I spent time around your dad. I mean, your dad, man, what a wonderful man. I mean, I said, oh, man, I see why he's such a great coach because he got so much passion for these kids. I mean, when he would come to Houston, like, he just wanted to talk about basketball, and you could just see he was, like, trying to learn. Dude been coaching forever, and he's still trying to learn basketball stuff. And he was like, let's just talk basketball. I'm like, I love talking about basketball. I don't know anything about anything else in the world but basketball. <laughs> but just these kids are so lucky to have – your dad when he was a coach and you and your brother, because I know y'all care about these people. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. We're being nice you on the podcast, but I'm going to just tell you something. When you come to Arizona to see Bryce and, and you and, and Homer's out there, I'm going to take y'all to a golf course and beat y'all like a dog. <laughs> he's been talking this. He's been talking this game. Ernie. I'm back, Scott, Ernie. Like crazy. Well, I'm back, well, Ernie. You got to prove it, man. You haven't proven it to anybody. All it is is just empty talk, right, Ernie? Now. I'm a, listen. Let me tell you something. I'm, I'm gonna put an end to this madness. Y'all are never going to beat me again. But you're not gonna have somebody like Phil Mickelson telling you what club to hit. Oh no, no, you're right. Because Phil would not let me turn my driver loose. That was the problem. In the, even though we beat the hell out of Steph and Peyton, I can hit my driver. He wouldn't let me hit my driver. Oh, my gosh. The reason he didn't want you hitting the driver is even though there were very few spectators there, you would have found one. <laughs> and the only the only highlights better than his NBA highlights are his golfing highlights. Yeah. God, I will tell you this. He has he has uh, he has improved. Uh, and I've I've been I've liked what I've seen from the Chuckster, but again, when it comes down to <laughs> tournament play, like the Masters, which we have at Chateau Alon uh, every year, uh, there there creeps in that little bit of self doubt. And no, there's no, no there's no more self doubt. That's no more self doubt. Hey, no pressure, no diamonds. Is RG three says, baby, bring it home, bring it home. <laughs> hey, RG three. By the way, how close did you come? To have an RG3 play hoop for you. Oh, RG3. Now, he he spent time in our gym. He was either in the football office or he was in our gym. He's a heck of an athlete. After he got out of high school, he leaves and, and comes in January. You know how you gray shirt? He ends up running track. And it was the 200 or 400. I think it was the 200. He wins the big 12, 200 hurdles. <laughs> he goes to the Olympic tryouts. This is a high school senior. He goes to the Olympic tryouts as a high school senior. It almost makes the Olympic team. Um, our football coach didn't even know if he was going to have him that year because he didn't know if he was going to go to the Olympics. I mean, whatever RG3 did, he did well. Um, but but I love his statement, no pressure, no diamonds. So uh, are you good, Charles? All right, I know you you handle that pressure well. Thank you. Thank you, Coach. Just take pictures of all them checks you're going to be winning and send them to me so I know what, what you're getting done, all right? Hey, just let me know when you come visit your brother in Arizona. You make sure you bring Homer, too, because I want some of him, too. Yeah. 
Hey, hey, last thing from me, Scott. Tell me, take me back to the game's over, all the confetti has flown, and when did you talk to your dad uh, and your brother? What was that? What was that like in the immediate uh, aftermath of winning the championship? Obviously, we we've just been able to wave to everybody for three weeks, and we went straight from Kansas City, so four weeks and not seeing anyone. So just seeing your family, being able to hug them after the game, uh, the NCAA range where we could meet with family afterwards. So that was that was awesome. And then uh, obviously, I learned at that point, you know, if we golf, it's going to be earlier in the day because. Uh, we're, we're together and it's what three or four indie time, but they're wide awake because you know, Phoenix time, they're two hours behind. So like my dad's still, still, still ready to go. And I'm just exhausted. So we, we go, we go play, we go do golf in the morning. It ain't going to be late at night in the evening time. Seeing them was awesome. Spending time with them was awesome. And then, you know, you know, the great thing about social media, like I said, is Afterwards, you can go back to your room and it's five, six o'clock and you're you, you got all these text messages and you haven't heard from a lot of people in a long time. And, and you're just gracious that they reached out or watched the game or prayed for you. You wanted to get back to them. And then then you had the Today Show and those shows coming on. And you're like, well, do I go to bed for 30 minutes? No, you got to stay up. And and you know what, Charles, we can't stay up like we used to. Right? No question we cannot. Maybe you can still pull them all-nighters, all right? Yeah. I was, I was by, by, by the time we got done with all that stuff and I laid it down, I was out. <laughs> so happy for you. Um because like Charles, we've, you know, we've known you for years and years and years and, and known your family and man, it just couldn't, couldn't happen to a nicer, a nicer man and, and to a greater family than yours to be able to celebrate. And I, I just hope you just enjoy every stinking second of this thing, Scott, and just and just milk it for all it's worth, man. <laughs> well, well, I can tell you, it's all it's all been a, a, um, a blessing. Spending time with you guys is always a blessing, Ernie. You know how our family feels about you, and uh, uh, I just love when you guys are on TV because uh, you 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 bless everybody that listens to you. So keep Shaq in line. Tell Kenny we said what's up. And then, uh, uh, Charles, I let my dad know you coming. Yes. All right, you coming. <laughs> and thank you for my piece of net, too. Well, you deserve it. Yeah, thank you, Appreciate brother. Appreciate you. Scott Drew, thank you very much, man. Great to see you. Thanks for being on the steam room. And, hey, and thank you. I, I forgot before we started to give you the ground rules of being in the steam room. Um, but obviously, you uh, you must have been up to it because you did keep your towel on. Appreciate it. <laughs> Back here on the steam room, uh, Charles Barkley and Ernie Johnson, and joined now by the legendary longtime producer of uh, Inside the NBA. That would be TK, Tim Kiley. Just throw the word legendary around. Man, I missed you last week. Ernie, I had to work last week. This was, I was, I was carrying some big old donkey on my back. So it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you, TK? I'm good, Ernie. I'm good. Is, have you guys been keeping up on Aaron Rodgers? Is he doing Jeopardy? Here's a clip. In the 1960s, these Midwesterners earned five NFL championship trophies. Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Dennis, go Try again, I guess. for 600. They swept over the NBA, winning the title every year from 1959 to 1966. Eric? We're the Boston Celtics. Oh, you know that one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's good. That is good. The reviews are he's slaughtering it, Ernie. 
I was on Jeopardy one time, and it was one of the coolest experiences of my life, I got to admit. Uh, it was awesome. I remember when you got beat by Martha Stewart. Well, she's supposed to be smarter than me, Ernie. She's Martha Stewart. <laughs> but she got a basketball question before you, knucklehead. Charles, where do we start? Hey, sport for 200. All right, on January 13th, 1999, this Chicago Bulls player retired after 13 seasons in which he averaged 31.5 points a game. Martha. Uh, who was Michael Jordan? You're right. What happened, Charles? <laughs> <laughs> Ernie, I knew the answer. It's hard to hit that button. It's like, you know, I knew the answer. You can't push it too soon. Hard to hit that button with that thumb. No, no, I'm telling <laughs> really you. No, you can't hit it too soon, man. I hit it too soon because I knew the answer. Well, you keep hitting it. No, no, it doesn't work like you only get to hit it one time, then it doesn't go back. Nope. Ooh, inside information here, Ernie. But I will tell you this. Hey, I'm not sure where I'm sold on the, uh, the part on the left side of his head. Who? A-Rod, I know that was a big bone of contention with people talking about, because that's the first time they ever seen him with the part in his hair. So uh, I, uh, I need to get, I got to get used to him having a part there. Really? Really? You just said that? <laughs> yeah. I'm just telling you, you know, I'm used to seeing A-Rod, uh, Alex, uh, no, nah, that's Alex Rodriguez, A-Rod, Aaron Rodgers a certain way. When I saw that part, it kind of caught me off guard. Oh, you're a mess. Man. Okay, that's good. Anyway, uh, I really missed this last week. I know where you're heading with this, Ernie, but I got to ask both you guys if you weren't doing what you were doing, would you enjoy being a game show host or what show would you like to host? That's a great question, TK. That's Cap. But I'm definitely not used to great questions from him. Um, what was the one, the pyramid? The, like the $10,000 pyramid? Or the that would, yeah, that to me would be my show to host. That was uh that one made me nervous, that show. Why? Why would it make you nervous? When it got to the finals, it was always like because I would close my eyes at home and you know not look at anything, not you know, and so I would try to a lot of information. And I would and I would try to play that round and and listen to the clues, and then it would make me nervous. Also, the Family Feud. When we did Family Feud, it was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, we were on Family Feud. We beat those baseball players, man. Yeah, but they're big baseball players. They're just dummies anyway. I mean, come on. They're baseball players. I mean, only people dominate them are football players. But how about Aaron Rodgers' part, though? I'm not sure about the part, Aaron. I got to know. You can slang that thing, but I'm not sure about the part. <laughs> you know what i'm thinking chuck would be a great host for the dating game oh my god <laughs> we're gonna find out in a minute you guys ready for a little quiz yeah yeah because we enjoy quizzes totally we'll do. see how who he hosts for goes here ernie you're first what show did bob barker host oh come on tk price is right bingo that was too easy you know what else he did truth or consequences. Chuck, what show did Richard Dawson host? Oh, um, oh man, we was kissing. Oh, Family Feud. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ernie's up. Bob Eubanks. The dating game. Oh, all right, Chuck, you're behind now. Let's go. Pick it up. Wait, I have. Wait, how can I be behind? Well, it was one one. He, you asked him two before I got to two. So how you know I'm behind? Hold it. What's the score right now, Chuck? Two to one. I'm ahead. 2-1 Ernie. <laughs> uh, you ready, Chuck? Yes. Chuck Woolery. Love Connection. Well, dating game. He did Love Connection, too. I know your viewing habits now, Chuck. What do you mean? <laughs> Ernie, Gene Rayburn. 
the match game. Man, you guys have spent a lot of time in your couches on the afternoons. Yeah. Well, he should know because all, all those old shows. He's the oldest person <laughs> on the podcast. He should know all those old shows. He has a distinct advantage. What well, do you stay with the bold and the beautiful Chuck in the afternoon? Shout out to my boy Joshua Romaro on the Young and the Restless. Are you not watching your stories anymore, Chuck? Stories. I don't watch so, uh, but I, uh, Joshua Morrow is a personal friend of mine. He's on the Young and the Restless. Uh-huh. Oh, and let me tell you something. Michael Knight, Tad Martin, uh, he's my all-time favorite soap guy uh-huh. uh, on all my children. Never heard of him. Hey, let me tell you something. This is how crazy I was back in my day. I delayed an NBA game to go say hello to Susan Lucci. I mean, I was like, what are the chances of her sitting on the front row in Phoenix? And I'm not going to say hello to her. I said, hey, hold on a second. I forget who the ref was. He said, what you doing? I said, I got to go say hello to somebody. He says, Make it quick. And I walked over and I said, Susan Lucy, it's an honor and a privilege to meet you. Because I watched all my children all through high school and college when I should have been in class. She eventually did win. Yes. She won an Emmy. Yeah. Yeah, so she won a championship, Chuck. Susan Lucy, you should have won a bunch of Emmys. But I just want you to know, if you want to see some Emmys, just go over to TK's house or go over to Ernie's <laughs> house or come over to Chuck's house. We got we got plenty of Emmys. Because you, you should have won a lot more. You're too much, man. <laughs> Listen, soap operas and game shows were my themes growing up. I'm not going to lie. What game shows do you watch now? Probably Steve Harvey's show. Yeah, I've caught you watching Steve Harvey. Uh, no, I like Family Feud. Because let me tell you something. When I pull coffee out of my behind on that show, because, man, you have to think fast. What are you talking about when you pulled coffee out of your... When we were playing Fast Money, and the question was, and I don't even know how it came to me, what, what can you drink that's hot and cold? And I said, uh-oh, coffee. And it turned out to be the number one. Yeah. Yeah. And, but y'all also, y'all made fun of me when I said the baby, too. I know, because that was a horrible answer. It was on there. It was a horrible answer. It was on there. Uh, no, you said a child. <laughs> what was the question, anyway? You done broke the ice, Chuck. You've been yeah. on the board already, baby. Yeah. If a man's zipper breaks a church, what might he use to cover it up? A child. Wow. Whoa! A what? A child! Man, gonna get us locked up. Wait. <laughs> if you're in church, <laughs> zipper uh, breaks. How do you try to hide it? You said with a child, and it was on there. <laughs> I would recommend people try to find that on online somewhere. Oh, Steve our, Harvey our went crazy. Uh, that was really, that was oh really funny. That was tremendous. Oh boy. Hey, TK, thanks for the time, man. That was, it was great to see you again, kid. Absolutely. Good to see you guys. Have a fun show. All right, brother. Be safe. All right. See y'all. Thanks, Cap. There goes the legend. Oh, Lord. <laughs> As we wrap things up with Charles Barkley, this is Ernie Johnson, and uh, Tiso is the official watch of the NBA and the proud sponsor of the Steam Room. Tiso, the T is silent. The second one. Yes. The second one. <laughs> so we always wrap up the Steam Room with uh, the old school Chuck's answering machine. Uh, always some uh, some entertaining content when uh, when we uh, listen in. So uh, Chuck, are you ready for call number one? I'm ready. You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. Hi, Charles. This is Anne calling from Houston, Texas. I would like to take this time to thank all of you for providing me with hours of entertainment for the past 12 months. Like many other Americans, I was laid off due to the pandemic. I had spent 20 years in management in the hospitality industry. 
And to say that that industry has been decimated is a critical understatement. But things are looking up. Starting in April of 2020, I started listening to your podcast every week and look forward to being entertained by your crew and your guests. 2020 was a year I will never forget, yet I'm so grateful to have been introduced to your wit and wisdom. It provided me with levity during the most unusual and difficult year for our country. I promised myself that I would leave a message for you and your team to share my gratitude when I finally went back to work. And 12 months later, I'm fortunate enough to be going back to work in the hotel industry. Charles and Ernie, please know that you have a fan for life. Thank you, and God bless. Wow. Thank you, Ann. We appreciate that. Ann, that is awesome. Uh, you know, when we started doing this silly, stupid podcast, I didn't know what to expect. But when we get calls, <laughs> and also even going back for my daughter's wedding, man, we got so many great calls with people suggesting songs for the father-daughter dance. I'm having a blast doing the podcast. Uh, I want to thank TNT for giving me and Ernie a, a fun platform to just have fun. You know, I, I hate when I have to start the show with uh, Deontay Wright, you know, uh, oh, I didn't even get a chance to, you know, talk about the great Marvin Hagler because we were off of March Madness. Uh, Marvin Hagler, y'all know boxing and football are my two favorite sports. And shout out to the family of Marvin Hagler, one of the best to ever do it. And uh, we I, we have to touch on hard stuff sometimes because we want to give you wit and wisdom. Uh, Ernest going to give you wit and I'm going to give you the wisdom. Uh, <laughs> okay, all the way around. We share, we share that. that. Uh, but no, just thank you, Ann. And uh, you're going to be a fan for life. Thank you very much. Yeah, we appreciate that, Ann. Uh, obviously, uh, some heartfelt sentiments on your part, and we uh, we appreciate that. And, and we would just say this. This week, Chuck, was it more wit or was it more wisdom? I think it was a combination of both, evenly, wit and wisdom. And all of it was provided by Scott Drew. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> we hope you all have enjoyed the podcast and can't wait to get back at you next week uh, with the Chucks. Yes. To all your loyal steamers. See you later. Thanks. Yes, sir.